1986 on Baker Beach uh, in California, uh, there were three guys that had gathered, uh, well, more than three guys, but a guy named uh, Larry Harvey, uh, Jerry James, and a few friends met on Baker Beach in San Francisco. And uh, they brought with them an eight, uh, an eight feet statue. Uh, and they also brought with them uh, on that day uh, a wooden statue of a little bitty tiny dog. And they did something interesting uh, on the beach that day. Uh, they, were, they, were celebrating, uh, they were celebrating the summer. They were, they were uh, just, just kind of celebrating uh, their friendship and, and kind of cultivating um, the friendship and relationships that they had. Uh, and they took this, this wooden statue in 1986 and they set it on fire on the beach. It's an eight-foot statue, as you can imagine. And they, they came back the next year and they did it again. And they came back the next year and they, and they did it again. And the next year and the next year. And they were like, well, this has gotten too big. And the, the city was like, you can't keep doing this here uh, on the beach. It's not exactly safe, just burning this, this eight-foot uh, eight statue. And so uh, they took it to Arizona in the desert in uh, Arizona, and, and it's become uh, what uh, a lot of people lovingly call uh, the Burning Man Festival. Uh, does anyone know the Burning Man Festival? So, so just to kind of cult- cultivate a bit about burning, so people that are part of the Burning Man, anybody ever been to Burning Man? That would be super fascinating to me. We should talk, okay, no? All right, so um, the Burning Man Festival, uh, they, people that go there call themselves burners. Right, they, so it's like this very, uh, very, um, uh, very creative uh, kind of um, uh, festival that they put on every year. So it's gotten up to about 70,000 uh, 70, people that are at this festival. And, and they have, um, let, me, let me read uh, the mission statement of the Burning Man Festival, because it's interesting. It went from this small group of friends that were burning this statue to now, uh, uh, 2020, uh, 70,000 plus people uh, in, in, in this particular thing. Um, let me give you the mission and the purpose of the Burning Man uh, Festival. It says, Burning Man's, um, Burning Man's project's mission is to produce the annual event known as Burning Man to guide, nurture, and protect the more permanent community, uh, community created by its culture. Then it goes on. It says, we believe that the experience of Burning Man can produce positive spiritual change in the world. And to this end, uh, it is equally important that we communicate with one another uh, and with the citizens of Black Rock City. So they've created something they call Black Rock City. So they have uh, police and uh, um, emergency. Uh, they, they have a whole, like, a whole whole process called danger rangers that that come in and and help do uh, various things. It says so that we're communicating the citizens of Black Rock City and with the community uh, of Burning Man whenever it may uh, arise. It says Burning Man is radically inclusive and its meaning is potentially accessible to anyone. It's got about 10 principles. So they, in 1994, they established these um, 10 principles, radical inclusion, uh, gifting, de-commodification, uh, uh, radical self-reliance, radical self-expression, communal effort, civic responsibility, leaving no trace, participation, and immediacy. So, Burning Man, I, I think we have a picture. Can you fill that up uh, for a second? It's a fascinating, um, yeah, so, so here's it. It's kind of like in the, in the shape of a clock. 
and then they put the, they put the statue every year. Um, they'll create a, a different type of statue in the middle of the field that will be burned. And so it's typically a, a very large statue, but the design of it can, can change pretty drastically. And go ahead and hit the next picture. Here is, um, here's one year, uh, one, one of the statues that they, they built this really incredible statue. And then every year they burn this thing to the, they burn this thing to the ground. This is the Burning Man Festival. And you're probably like, that's great, man. Uh, why are you talking about the Burning Man Festival, right? We got signups in the back afterwards. We're all gonna, we're all gonna load up in a bus and go to uh, the desert uh, where there's no water. No, 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 that, that's not it. Um, so as I was, I was just thinking about tonight, but because here's the reality. We're, we're, talking about, um, we're talking about gathering as God's people every week. Um, the, Burning Man started as like a couple of friends that were, they, they were in, enjoying something, but, but it began for them as something where they thought, man, we want to cultivate a community and we want to cast a vision and, and create a culture that, that is worldwide. So they, they had this little bitty... Um, the gathering that they had, but they had a very large vision of what they wanted this thing to turn into. And, and what, did they, what did they know about if they were going to create a culture and they were going to create a movement, they had to do what? They had to create a really incredible gathering. They, they knew that this thing wouldn't live on if they just started creating these like small pockets of community. They thought, no, no, we've got to get a gathering put together and, and, and get all these people together, get all these people lined up with a, a vision so that they can come in and see the culture of Burning Man, experience, you saw that picture, experience the, the, the environment of Burning Man, this kind of like very uh, eccentric and, and uh, all these kind of neon lights and, and it looked and dirty, you know, that's just part of the, that's part of the, you know, the enjoyment of, of being in the, in the desert. And, and they knew if we, if we want to do that, we have to create a gathering. And, and so I was thinking about that and, and, and was considering that and thinking like, man, there's something that really unique, uh, uniquely happens when, when people gather under a certain um, vision and a certain banner and they're all in, in agreement. Um, what that does is it creates what? It creates a, a certain type of culture. And, and I was thinking, man, that's essentially uh, what we do on a, a Sunday evening in a gathering. Any church that gathers together weekly, what they're doing when they gather together weekly is they're doing what? They're creating their own individual what? Culture. Now, it, 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 it's all falling under God's word and it's all doctrinally, uh, should be all doctrinally very sound, but they're all in, in certain individual cultures. It's about, it's about um, understanding that when we um, gather in here that doing this um, creates something uh, really unique and really uh, valuable so that when we go out there, right, that, that, that we're more faithful, that we're more lined up. Something special happens inside so that, so that when we go outside, um, we're lined up, uh, we're lined up together. Okay, so if, if you have a Bible, um, go to, uh, we're going to be in Hebrews, uh, we're starting Hebrews chapter Ten. So go ahead and turn um, uh, there. Hebrews chapter ten. We're going to start in verse um, 
23 talking about what does it mean to gather as God's people in a, in a worship setting. I, I don't know if you know this. So in our particular context, so Barna Research uh, a couple of years ago put out, um, put out all kinds of different research. And, and so they, they kind of spiritually look at the landscape of the U.S. And, and so they're kind of checking this stuff out. And so they, they had, uh, this was two years ago, uh, they created three different lists where they talked about um, the, most churched, uh, the most churched cities in America. So by most church, they mean uh, attended a church service in the past seven days. So the most church, they looked at um, t- uh, the most unchurched city. So they hadn't attended a church service in the past six months. Uh, and then they looked at um, the top five uh, de-churched. Um, so this was, these were people that were, were somewhat or minimally active churchgoers, but haven't attended a church service in the past six months. And so uh, on the top of the list, so let me give you the top five of the most church. Uh, so they've been to a church service at least once in the past seven days. Uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, 59% of the population in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, Salt Lake City, 59%. Uh, Augusta, when it's not the Masters, 57%. Uh, Baton Rouge, uh, Louisiana at 57 uh, And then Birmingham, Tuscaloosa, at 56%. So those, those are the top five um, most churched uh, cities in the, in the U.S. Now, let me give you the most, uh, the top five of the unchurched, so having attended a church service in the past six months. Uh, number one is San Francisco. So about 60, uh, San Francisco, Oakland, about 60%. Uh, Reno, um, about 59%. Springfield, Mass, um, 57%. Uh, Boston, 56% at number four, and Las Vegas at number five. And let me give you the top five D church. San Francisco with 47%, Boston with 48%, Seattle with 45%, Portland, uh, Maine with 45%, Springfield, um, Massachusetts with 43%. Uh, they, they did also did um, uh, this past year, they did something called the po- most post-Christian cities in the U.S. And so they had about 10 identifiers for what it meant to be uh, post-Christian, and so they kind of listed out all of these various things. Um, eight out of the top five were in New England. I mean, eight out of the top ten were in New England, with Boston at number three. So this is two in a row, right? And so I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about our, our context, right? This is a unique, like, gathering on a, on a Sunday to celebrate Jesus in our city is a very unique and different thing. This is not the, it is not the cultural norm. So why do we do it? I mean, that's the question that, that we're looking at tonight is, is if, especially thinking about our context, right? Because we could be doing lots of, uh, you know, other things. You could brunch or whatever, you know, whatever. I mean, you literally could be doing anything else, but we're here. So what, what value does that add? Well, let's look at, um, let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 23. Um, 23 through 25 is what we're going to be at. Let me pray and then we'll, we'll dive in and, uh, and we'll talk for a bit. God, thank you. Um, thank you for your word. Thank you that you, um, you give us insight, um, that you give us discernment, God. And so we want to uh, ask that your Holy Spirit would guide this time uh, that, we, that we have tonight. Um, God, we, we are here. Uh, we're here because we, we want to, to hear from you. We want to experience something um, from you, God. And so would you do that tonight? Um, we, we ask that you would help uh, just provide uh, clarity, uh, God, where there's, where there's darkness, um, in, our, in our hearts or, or perhaps in our minds, God, would you illuminate uh, those areas tonight? 
And we just pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Hebrews 10, 23 and 25. This is what the author, um, author says here. He says, let us, so he's going to give three different let us statements uh, in Hebrews uh, chapter 10 about, uh, um, in, in this particular chapter. The first one is let us approach the throne with confidence, but we're going to kick down to the next two, starting in verse 23. He says, uh, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who is who promised is faithful, and let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more um, as you see uh, as you see the day uh, approaching. So, my, the first thing that I want to um, propose tonight, and I just firmly, I firmly believe this. I think that our public, um, our public gathering in here ultimately helps us be more faithful to who we are out there. I, I, I genuinely believe, based on myself and based on conversations that I have with others, if I'm meeting with someone who's in regular worship gathering with other believers, that they tend to uh, have a more faithful, robust type of obedience when they're not uh, with other believers. There's just something about this, this unique gathering that, that creates uh, an ability to be more faithful uh, when we're out there. We, we see the, the author in Hebrews chapter 10 um, tells us two things. He, he says, uh, the first thing he says to us is, um, let, us uh, let us hold on to the confession of hope. Do you, so do you know when we sing in here, right? So we sing or we raise our hands or, or whatever. It's kind of coming out of your mouth. That is what? That is a confessional. It's confessional faith. When we're singing those songs, we're saying, I, I believe, I believe the, what's coming out of my mouth to be a confession of truth to you, both to God and to one another. When, when, when we pray together, when we collectively pray together, right? And so I'm praying or, or you're praying or you're like, yes, yes, amen, right? I'm with that. What, what is that? That is a confession of hope. That is us holding on to a belief and an understanding of who God is and who he created us to be. That is holding on to a confessional of hope together. So when we come in this room, it's not you come in and consume. It's we come in together doing what? Holding on to the confession of hope together. Um, I, I love Keisha in the, in the video, she, right? She talked about coming into the space and it's like I don't know I don't always necessarily feel what's exactly on the screen right that doesn't always feel that way I mean I, even in that song where it's like um you've never failed me I don't know that I I always feel that way I don't know that that's a statement that I always necessarily agree with but there, there's something about, you, you know what I'm thinking about? So when I'm singing, um, when I'm singing those songs, I'm, I'm not even necessarily thinking about my own personal life. When I'm singing those songs, a lot of times, I'm thinking about the faithfulness of God in the lives of other people that I've heard about, that I've heard them talk to me about. Because I don't necessarily always feel it or, or, or always see it. But there, there's something about being in a room with other believers who I know are, are singing behind me and, and, and praying behind me and are in front of me and, and they're, they're engaging in that moment. I'm going, okay, I know their story. 
Now, I've seen God be faithful. I've heard them talk about how faithful he is. And so it, it enables me to respond in a way that I may not necessarily feel like I want to respond in. Because there's something about holding on to the confession of hope. Together, he says, let us hold on to it. Let us, plural, right? Plural pronoun. Let us. Not, not you, us. And so he says, let us hold on to the confession of hope. The, the second thing that he says I love that he says that. He says, and let us watch out for one another. Uh, some translations say, let us consider one another, right? Let us think on one another. Let us consider and think about other people. And so he says, hold on to the confession of truth. And he says, and also think about others. And, and, and what are we to be doing as we're thinking about others? He says, um, to, think, uh, to watch out for one another and to provoke love in good works. Provoke love in good works. Now, now what does that mean? Um, I think what it means is I think what it means is when we're in this circle, now, I don't mean a stranger, right? I don't, I don't, I'm not saying you just go up to a stranger and you're like, hey, brother, you know, what, how's the Lord been just pursuing you, you know? I, that, right? Is gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, quickly make them uncomfortable, right? But, but I do think there's something about the collective nature of people in this room that as we get to know one another, as there's a type of intimacy that is built one another, uh, we have types of conversations that are meant to provoke love and good deeds in one another. And, you know, and so the, the conversation changes from, hey, dude, how was work this week? You know, that's like the go-to. Uh, yeah, and I, even me, how was work this week? You know, that's just kind of like the, you know, love this weather. You know, we just kind of, that's just kind of like our, our like default type of, type of thing. What if, what if, like in this setting and environment, again, with, with brothers and sisters that you know and love, where you see them, maybe you haven't seen them all week. And that's usually, that a lot of times can be the case. Where it's like, man, I, you either miss, you weren't at house, church, small group stuff, or, you know, it's just kind of like chaos is going on all, all around. What if when we came into the space, we weren't just praying and singing collectively what if we were having the types of conversations we're like hey dude tell me like tell me this week how you saw the lord pursue you like what what is evidence this week that god was pursuing you man can you tell me that like man tell me this week like what what is this week you just been for you where you're just like man you just feel you just feel down like you just feel wear down on like what, what's a way in which that I can I can pray for you like give me give me something man that this week you were just like man I, I just if I knew that Brian was praying for me just as a brother in Christ if, that would would seek to encourage you man can you can you like tell me that can you imagine if those were the types of conversations that were happening in a in a public gathering like this do, do you know what that's doing um that's building a, a culture of of care and authenticity and love with one another that wouldn't happen otherwise if we weren't gathered in this space together and we were saying it was a, a priority and, and so the writer of Hebrews is saying man watch out for one another consider one another think about one another to do what to provoke love and good works and I, I would love for Grace City to become a place where it's like no there's genuine like there's genuine conversations that are happening that are propelling us, right? So you leave this space, and it's not even necessarily like, I love that song or, or something that, that was said was really great, but maybe you left this place, and you're like, bro, that conversation that I had with Zoe, 
shaped me for the rest of the week. Like her encouragement that she spoke to me was exactly what like, God, you, God's spirit used her to speak truth into me. What if that's the mentality that we had coming into this space? We're watching out, considering one another. Uh, Thomas R. Kelly uh, says this. Not R. Kelly. No, we're not quoting him in here. All right, Thomas R. Kelly. Thomas R. Kelly, the best R. Kelly. All right, this is what he says. That dude. All right, here we go. He says this. We know uh, that these souls are with us. So he's talking about this, this public gathering. He says, lifting their lives and ours continuously to God and opening themselves with us in steady, I, I, man, I love this, in steady and humble obedience to him. This, this line here. It is as if the boundaries of ourself were enlarged. As if we were within them and as if they were within us. Their strength given to them by God becomes our strength. Right? That's what our stories do. It becomes our strength. Your strength becomes my strength. I mean, when I hear that what God is doing in your life, that, that strengthens me. So he says, their strength uh, becomes um, uh, strength within us. And he says, and our joy given to us by God becomes their joy. This is, this is what happens in the gathering of God's people. This is how we build culture. This is how we, we build joy and strengthen one another. He says, I, I love it, he says, it's as if the boundaries of ourself were enlarged. This is, this is, this is what we do. This is why we gather. Now, we're, we're in a time, that, honestly, we're in a time like any other where you could, you could actively say you're a Christian and, and even say you're engaged in church and never go into a church. I mean, there, you have the ability to watch sermons, to watch worship, to, to watch whatever you like um, online to the detriment of your spiritual growth. And I think those things are great. Like, I think you have those things on. I mean, I, I cut on worship music at the house and watch my boy, you know, uh, sing to it. He doesn't know what he's doing, but I'm instilling that in him, you know, at an early age or whatever. Like, all, all of those things are good, but all those things are meant to just be a resource to your local gathering of believers. You can't provoke one another to love and good works on a, on a screen. It's not possible. And, and so the writer of Hebrews, look, look what he does. He even says at the end of verse 25, uh, he says, or at the beginning of verse 25, he says, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but doing what? If we're not neglecting to gather together, but encouraging each other all the more as we see the day approaching. Even the writer of Hebrews recognizes the human tendency to not um, to, to want to check out and not gather together. It, it's not, a, it's not a, a 21st century problem. It's a human problem. It, it is. Because what happens in this space, right? You're, you're pushed on, you're pulled on, it's made uncomfortable, maybe the Spirit of God is convicting you, right? I mean, all, all of these things uh, are, are beginning to to happen um, in this particular gathering. But again, what we're saying is um, being, f being um, here and being consistent to being in here is helping us to be more faithful out there, enabling us to live um, a, a more of a life of encouragement. Okay, so that, that's what I would say is like the, the relational, kind of the relational aspect 
of, of why uh, Sunday gatherings uh, is, or whatever the, the worship gathering is, those gatherings are important. It's kind of this, there's some relational need there. Uh, so go ahead, if you have a Bible, go to Nehemiah chapter 8. Let's kick out to Nehemiah um, chapter 8. So if that is our kind of relational understanding, uh, this is what I'm calling our more congregational reasoning for uh, gathering in, uh, in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter, or not Hebrews, Nehemiah chapter 8. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 1 there. And let me give you, here, let me just give you on the front end. Um, so, so if our first thought is our, our public gathering in here helps us be more faithful out there, let me give you this kind of, this is our congregational understanding. Uh, the, the public proclamation of the word, which is what we're about to see happen in Nehemiah chapter 8. The public proclamation of the word produces what? It produces collective, now all these words I've used on purpose. Uh, the public proclamation of the word produces collective joyful obedience and genuine repentance. Here's what we're going to see happen in Nehemiah chapter 8. The, the word is going to be brought forward and it's going to produce a type of collective joyful obedience together and genuine repentance together. All right, so Nehemiah chapter 8, um, uh, verse 1. We'll, we're going to kind of hop around here for a bit, so um, we'll jump around, but I, I believe in it. you can hang, hang in there. Uh, so so uh, the end of chapter 7, it says they've kind of settled in, and verse 1 says this. Uh, and all the people gathered together at the square uh, in front of the water gate, and they asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses. So this is the first five books of the law of Moses. And so the, the people have gathered, and they've said to Ezra, uh, bring this out. So bring out the book of the law of Moses that the Lord has given Israel. And on the first day of the seventh month, the priest uh, um, Ezra brought the law before the assembly of men and women and who all who could listen with understanding. And how while he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read it out from daybreak until noon before the men and the women and, and those who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book uh, of the law. Verse, um, uh, well, th- we'll stop there and then, then we'll kick into that. Okay, so the, the, people, are, the people are gathered and they, they say, hey, bring out the law uh, of, of Moses. And it says that they sat there from, from dusk till dawn. Like, that's a long time, you know? I'm like, that is a long, that's a long worship gathering, right? Some of you grew up in that church. Like, that's a long, that's an all-day, that's an all-day affair. But, but they, they said to him, hey, bring out, bring out the word. We, we would like to hear, uh, we would like to hear the word. And, and so will you, will you bring out? So a couple of thoughts here. As we're, as we're looking at this and, and what's going on here, and we'll kind of see uh, this begin to um, flesh out. The, the first thing that stood out to me is what? Is that they, they, wanted, like, they wanted to hear from God. There was an expectation that what? That God would speak. That they have gathered together, men and women, and those who can understand. I don't know what that means. But even those people, with an expectation that God would speak. And that he would speak through his word. So much so that they, they're like telling the priest. How many times do you got to go tell a, a preacher to go get the Bible, right? They're telling the priest to go get the word and to bring it out. There was an expectation to hear from God. Do you, in this space, have an expectation to hear from God? Like, do you? Like, do you ask? Like, do you... 
do you say to him, like, I want to hear from you. Like, I want to receive something from you. Like, I, I, I need it. Lord, you've seen my week. I need it. And, and we see in Nehemiah chapter 8 that people are gathered and they want, to, they want to receive something from God. They want to hear something from God. And, and so they're there. And, and so they're, they're in this place. What, what's the next thing that it says? Look, look in verse 3. Um, it says this. It says, while he was facing the square in front of it, he read out loud from daybreak until noon. And those who could understand. And, and here, here it is. He says, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. It says they were listening attentively. Listen, it is, uh, I, I love to teach the Bible. Uh, I love to, to read the Bible. It's like one of the things that I enjoy uh, doing. Like I, I, it energizes me and I enjoy doing it. However, in this space, like in this space, it is your job and responsibility to do what? To listen attentively to the word. To engage intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually with the text that we are looking at. It is not my job and responsibility to spoon feed you truth. Like, I, I, we're gonna look at the text, we're gonna talk about the text, we're gonna look at observations from the text. But it's your job and responsibility to engage it at a, at a level uh, of understanding that you can, right? We're all at different maturity levels in, in our spiritual journey, right? You, some of you may be here, you're not, you're not, even, a, you're not even a believer, right? But, but you're, you're here and, and you're in this space. You engage it to the level that you understand it. Absolutely. 100%. Some of you are, are here and you've been walking with the Lord for 20, 25 years. You engage it at the level that you understand it. Everyone, all the way across the board, no matter where you're at here, we're going we're gonna to talk about it. But it, it says that the people were, li were listening attentively. Again, they were, they were listening with an, with an expectation. And then really, so, so they, they're walking in with an expectation to hear from God. And then they're having a posture of, of, of attentiveness to where they're paying attention to what's being said. To, to be able to take something. And so it says they're, they're listening with understanding. Okay, so let's kick down, kick down to, um, uh, let's kick down to verse six because you don't want to see me destroy those names. All right, so uh, verse six, Nehemiah chapter eight, verse six. That would just waste our time. Who wants to do that? All right, um, if you want me to read those names later, meet me afterwards. I'll read them for you and then we can have a good laugh together. All right, but then I'll be like, do you know? And you're like, no, maybe I just said them right. All right, so here we go. Verse six. All right, verse six, uh, Nehemiah um, chapter 8, uh, verse 6. So they've read the word. Um, uh, he's been reading it. And it says, Ezra, um, bless the Lord, the great God. And with their hands, what did they do? And with their hands uplifted, all the people said, amen and amen. And then they knelt low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So what happened was... They read the word, and then they responded uh, in a response that was, that was based on their understanding of who God was. Because think about that. They, um, they didn't have the law. 
that it wasn't something um, that, that they had like we have access to. So they, they didn't have it on their phones. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't have multiple Bibles at their house. You know, they, they couldn't Google uh, the, you know, the Bible. It wasn't something that was, was easily accessible to them. And so they sit and they hear the word read out loud. The words of God to them. Right? And it's, it's pushing on them and maturing them and, and, and growing them. And their response to hearing the word, uh, it, the, the Nehemiah 8 tells us that they got on the ground, or they lifted their hands, worshiped, and then got on the ground in response to what they read. There's a, a responsiveness that should be happening when God's people are gathering together. There's responsiveness that should be happening. Now, I don't think, listen, people got all kinds of different, people worship all, all kinds of different ways, right? There's no, uh, there's no like certain style that, that the Lord's like, I'm really pleased with that one. You know, like there, there's, no, there's no type of, of, of you know, deal that, that, that God's like, man, I, I love that dude more uh, because, or that girl more because of the way they worship, right? We're, we're all wired in, in different ways with different personalities. Now, I do think there's a sense in which um, I do think there's a sense in which, for some people, it's it's more of a matter of um, it's more of a matter of confidence, not necessarily personality or style. There's just like some some confidence there. But but there there should be something in which, when we gather collectively as God's people, where there's a response to who God is that's producing something in us here in this space. Like no, no one should walk into um, a, a public gathering of God's people and it feel cold. That, that shouldn't be a reality. Now, it is. In a, in a lot of places, it is. But it shouldn't be. There, there should be a sense of, of warmth, right, and, and kindness. And, and there should be, man, this is the God we serve. This is who he is type of mentality. And so it says they, they responded uh, in verse 6 um, in, in a way that was vastly different. Okay, let's kick down, uh, kick down to verse 9. Nehemiah. 8 uh, verse 9 so they've read they've been responding um, in, in worship actually um, in verse 8 it says it, it won't be up there but it says they read out they read out of the book of the law of God translating and giving um, and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read so basically you had the, the Levite priest who were going around after the, the Bible was read so there was the initial reading there was a response in worship, and then the Levite priests were going around, and then they were, they were uh, explaining uh, a lot of what was just read to the people, so the people could really grasp and understand uh, what was happening in that particular part of the, the passage uh, from the Levites were the priests in the Old Testament. So verse 9, it says, Nehemiah the governor, um, Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people uh, said to all of them, uh, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, right? So they, they heard from the word and they were like, oh, God's holy? Oh, oh no. And, they, and so they read and they're like, he, our, our ancestors did what? You know? And they were like, oh, he, he punished them how? You know, like they were, they were like hearing this, they were hearing the stuff and they were like, oh, you know, and, and they're in that moment, like that uncomfortable moment where they're like, oh gosh, God is very holy and I am not. And their response was, they get on the ground and they start weeping. 
and the, the text tells us that Ezra and Nehemiah and the Levites are like, hey, hold up. He says, what, what, are, we, what are we to do? And they, they said, in verse 9, they said, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people are weeping as they heard the words of the law. Because they're feeling the holiness of God in that moment. And the way they say in 10, verse 10, it says, then he said to them, go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portion to those who have nothing prepared. Since today is holy to our Lord, do not grieve because the joy of the Lord is your strength. All the people, verse 11, all the, the Levites quieted all the people saying, be still, since today is holy, don't grieve. Don't grieve. Yet this sounds impossible. But the Lord, our God, is your strength. Don't grieve. And, then it, and what does it say the response of the people were? Verse 12, it says, then all the people begin to eat and drink, right? We're about, we're, it's party time. It says, all the people begin to eat and drink and send portions and do what? And have great sadness, great coldness, and stiffness because of the word of the Lord was read. <laughs> it says, and have great celebration because they had understood the words that were explained to them. There's something about being among the people of God, reading the word of God, that should produce a type of joyful obedience that otherwise wouldn't be produced. That it just wouldn't. I mean, th this was, a, this was a, a moment where it was like, because I, I don't know about you, like, I, my week, I need to be in here and feel a sense of encouragement to be around other brothers and sisters who are living in a city, who are working, who are trying to, to walk the way of Jesus with their neighbors and roommates and professors and coworkers and baristas and, and wh whoever, right? I, I need to be in close proximity to other people who are trying to faithfully walk the way of Jesus so that I can feel a sense of joyful encouragement and obedience. And I need, I need the word. I need a collective kind of congregational sense in which we're reading the word together and going, yes, yes, yes. Oh, that hurts. Yeah, that hurts. But yet, yes, that, that's what I mean. There's something about that, 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 this experience that in reality should produce in us joy, right? Joy in what? Joy in in. In the text? No, it's joy in the God of the text. Right? It says that the Lord your God is your strength. And we don't always necessarily feel that. Like we don't always necessarily feel that, that, that God's with us, that his Holy Spirit, like his presence is, is with us and inside of us. I don't always feel that. You don't always necessarily feel that. And so we, we need to be with other brothers and sisters who can help remind us of that, who can sing with us, even when we don't feel like singing, who can pray prayers collectively for us, even when we don't feel like praying those prayers. 
should produce something inside of us. It essentially should charge us up. Okay, Nehemiah 8, kick down to verse 13 and 14. Let's see what else it does here, and then, um, and then we'll start closing out. So verse 13. So there's a joyful type of obedience that's created. And then verse 13 says, on the, second day, the family, uh, on the second day, the family heads of all the people, along with the priests and the Levites, assembled before the scribe Ezra uh, to study the words of the law. Verse 14. And it says, they found written in the law. Here it is. So he's given us detail now. Uh, in Nehemiah chapter 8, he's given us detail. They found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should dwell in shelters during the festival of the seventh month. So what's beginning to happen is they're starting to, they're getting more into the details and they're saying, okay, this was the law of Moses. This is, this is what was happening um, in this particular, uh, in this particular uh, place. Okay, so kick to uh, uh, Nehemiah chapter 9. I, I love, so Nehemiah 8 leads to Nehemiah 9. And Nehemiah 9 is all about the confession of the people. A collective confession of repentance. This is what Nehemiah 9 is. So look at verse 3. It says, while they stood there in their places, they read from the book of the law of the Lord. So they're still reading from the book of the law of the Lord. They read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a fourth of the day. So that's a fourth of the day reading. And it says, and spent another fourth of their day in what? In confession and worship of the Lord their God. Confession and worship. So what, what should happen in, in this space? There are moments in this space where the word produces a type of um, joyful, vibrant worship and obedience among his people. Collectively, it does that. 100%, it does it. It's, it's good that way, it does. But it also, the, the public um, reading and preaching of the word collectively also does what? Creates repentance and confession in the people. And so there's a moment, there is moments where we go, man, God, this week I've like, I see what your word says, and I walked in total disobedience. And I'm sorry. Like I, I hear, and I see the words that we're singing. Um, I, I'm seeing the words that, that we're reading. I'm hearing what's being said and what's going on. And that has not been the rhythm of my life this week. And I'm sorry. And there's moments, some of the most powerful moments in the life uh, of the Christian church is when God's people collectively confess and repent for, for things that have happened in, in our culture that we've allowed to happen or, or things in our city that we've allowed to happen and have done nothing in response to. Nothing in response to. And the, the word awakens something inside of us, enables something inside of us to say, God, we're sorry. I'm sorry. I've been doing that. And it says that, it says that people confess. 
the, there's a, the best way that I know how to describe what the church, you, you know what the church is essentially? The, the church is a, an embassy, right? What does an embassy do? An embassy is a place in a foreign land where if you belong to that embassy, you, you go for what? You go for care, protection, encouragement. They're, they're thinking about the, the interests of their particular kind of nation and culture. That's what an embassy does. Do, do, every week, every Sunday evening at, at 5.30, what, what should this serve as? For all of us, in so many ways, it should serve as what? As an embassy. As a way for us to feel cared for and loved. Do, Dr. Tony Evans says this about the church. He's amazing. I love what he says. He says, the church is supposed to be a little bit of heaven a long way from home. It's to be, uh, it's to be that place where the values of eternity operate in history. The church is a place where weary people go to find truth, acceptance, equality, freedom, safety, joy, justice, and hope. So that's to be the church. So, so why, why do we gather? Well, I think relationally we need one another. I, I think that we need the, the types of conversations that can happen in this space that otherwise won't happen. And then I think from a congregational standpoint, if you will, there's something special and unique that happens when people are collectively sitting under the word that produces obedience, that produces a, an undeniable sense of joy and, and a, a type of confession and repentance that otherwise wouldn't be there. And we, and we need each other, we need that. And so maybe you're here tonight and I don't know for you, like it's been a bit sporadic for you and your engagement at a, at a level is, is kind of just been that. And, and you're kind of all over the place, either you're not going or you're going all over the place. And, and so maybe tonight you're like, Lord, I need to, I need to land. So I need to fully land somewhere. Like I need to invest my gift set. I need to fully get, like I can't have those personal conversations because I'm not around long enough to have the personal conversations, right? Like I, I, I'm not in environments to be able to have the, the personal conversations because I'm just, and so maybe that, maybe tonight you're like, man, I need to figure out what to do and, and make that connection. We can help you do that. Maybe you're here tonight and, and you don't know Christ. And, and so we're singing songs and, and you're hearing the songs and, and you got it, but, but it's, not, it's not connecting for you. And so, so maybe tonight you need to trust Christ. Allow him to, to produce a type of um, joy in you that, that otherwise is not accessible to you through the world. It's just not. So maybe he's been drawing you and, and pulling you in and perhaps tonight you